the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. It's been raining so much here, I could have sworn I saw an arc float down my street today. Uh, but anyway, let's get uh, let's start thinking positive. Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Thomas Edison, who knows a thing or two about that, I, he said he, they tried over 3,000 times to make the light bulb. <laughs> and then when they finally got it, the, the place burned down. In the midst of chaos, there's also opportunity. That's a great Chinese proverb. You have to be a burning with an idea or a problem or wrong that you want to write if you're not going to fail. There we go. Uh, anyway, we always talk on, on this show about uh, our webpage. So what we suggest is that you go to WHK1420 uh, and go right down to local podcast. You go down to local podcast, Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, and you go directly to my webpage. And on my webpage, they have trend and cycle under bulletin boards and, and, the, and the market newsletter. Uh, that's good, good information, by the way. And then if you go to Insights, you know, one of the things I'm going to talk about today is the U.S. infrastructure and budget bills. And uh, what's pushing, you know, pushing U.S. stocks to climb the wall of worry. And uh, believe me, there's plenty of worry out there. Uh, and, and the other, by the way, you can always go back to, to past issues. If you forgot what they said, you can go back to July of 2020, et cetera. And green metals, industrial commodities in a decarbonizing world. We talked about that last week. Short-term uncertainty shouldn't change the market's long-term outlook. By the way, you can also ask for things like our ADR list. You know, I noticed something this week. Uh, Europe broke out. And the relative strength for European stocks, large European stocks now, not small ones, turned up against the S&P 500. Our ADR list is our American depository receipts. Those are foreign stocks that trade on our exchange, so you don't have to worry about currencies. Uh, our top ideas, whether they be small cap, our multi-cap uh, list, what I mean by capitalization, our cap is capitalization. So the big stocks, the medium stocks, and the small stocks, they're all in that list. Our prime income list, our dividend growth portfolio. And by the way, if you want to have a cup of coffee with me, you know, sit down and talk about your portfolios and your wealth plan and how you're going to retire, what you want to do when you retire, that type of thing, give me a call. Uh, we might have to wear masks, but that's the way it is. Uh, anyway, so where do we go from here? <laughs> you know, I was uh, listening in. Uh, hold on. I was listening in. Uh, oh, by the way, we still have available to uh, anybody our electrical grid 
You know, I think if people don't understand how important two things are going to be. Number one, the electrical grid and also uh, our global, global energy. And we have our global energy conference, which uh, was had some really good ideas. And also the U.S. electrical grid. You know, hey, you can't have electrical cars. You can't have all this stuff with the Internet without electricity. All right. So what this does is it gives you that opportunity to read about that, and I highly recommend it. All right, so I, you know, I listened to some smart people this week, so let's uh, give you some ideas of what they talked about. But just so you know, this is a live show, so uh, we we try to talk about things that you know you'll be interested in. But if you have a question, you can call in directly into the studio at 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Now, look, um, I think you have to move away from talking about whether we prefer value or growth at this point. I've been saying for now about six months that we need a barbell approach, okay? So the, the bar should be your your dividend growers, your prime income list, you know, that type of thing. And on one side, you want to have value. On the other side, you want to have growth because they seem to be bouncing around quite a bit, and I think that's the key. So, look, we appreciate that some investors only want simple table-pounding calls. That's just not how we see the style trade today. And to pretend that's uh, not the case would be, you know, intellectually dishonest, okay? So, this is more complicated equity market than we've seen back in January that requires more uh, more of a nuance, if you will. So which part of the style trade an investor should lean into right now really comes down to the time horizon, your time horizon, in my particular view, okay? So we believe style leadership will remain choppy through 2022. So it's going to go back and forth, back and forth. You don't see any commitment, really, to value or growth. Value goes up for a couple of days. Growth goes up for a couple of days. Utilities go up for a couple of days. I think people are not paying attention to utilities. And remember, you buy yield when it's down. And they beat the utilities up a little bit, okay, while the bond market rallied. Hmm, interesting. But the staples and the utilities are starting to rally a little bit. So what does that mean? So, look, I think near-term value is confronting a bunch of challenges. And, that you know, I guess those you could – Put those together as like a deterioration in earnings sentiment for value. Growth is now stronger on upward earnings revisions, by the way, and and the partial resolution of the growth, a uh, gross crowding problem. Uh, but the Nasdaq futures no longer look overowned by asset managers right at the moment. So there's a sharp deterioration in money flows for value, um, which rot, you know that increases the uncertainty about trends. Uh, in widely watched macro indicators that all the people look at. Okay. So that's something to think about. Now, I, look, I, I think the, the stage is set for another burst of value leadership, in my humble opinion, just because of what I said uh, in the interim term. Uh, later this year or early next, value is uh, more appealing than growth on a cash deployment metrics, where, you know, that that uh, Lori Calvacina, uh, our head strategist, tracks. And growth still looks overvalued relative to value, and value tends to lead when real GDP uh, growth is tracking above average as the consensus uh, of Wall Street estimates, okay? So 
It's worth noting that while the number of U.S. COVID cases has continued to rise sharply and it's driven by the South where vaccinations have lagged, uh, the rate of change in new cases has decelerated a little bit. So some people think it may peak in the next couple of weeks. So we, we'll give it we'll give it a while anyway. I think uh, if we if, if we get excited about the idea of another big outperformance trade in value, uh, we also have to worry that it may very well end up be being value's last hurrah. All right, but we don't know. So. Since January, there was a bias towards value in cyclical sectors. And then given the summer, it, you know, financials, energy, materials, those type of things. And then remember, uh, about four weeks ago, I, ha- I had the, uh, uh, Avery call in and he asked, he asked me, he said, Tim, why are you were so high on oil? What's happened? I said, I was high on oil at the beginning of the year. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and he even admitted he hasn't been listening to all the shows, but I said, look, Three weeks ago, I said, you know, in the zone theory, they're all all the oil stocks are in zone five and six. That means they have to come back for you to get aggressive again. Well, they're not there yet. They're still in three and four, and some are still in six. So uh, you got to wait. You know, there's two types of corrections: they're price and time. Right, at the moment I think we're having a combination of the two. But uh, you know, so starting the summer, we we kind of had a a corrective phase in all these value areas. All right, uh, you know uh, the the material stocks didn't go up for a while. Banks pulled back. And, you know, last week we talked about the charts of the 10-year Treasury making a double bottom and breaking this downtrend line and how we we thought that the small caps, the regional banks, and the 10-year Treasury yield were all the same chart. Well, the 10-year Treasury and the regional banks have broken out. Will the small caps lead uh, follow it? I don't know. But I think, you know, uh, growth outperforms value when real GDP growth is tracking below average. Many investors uh, start, you know, think the hiking is going to start in, in uh, late 2022. I don't know. Historically, you know, value has uh, edge over growth in terms of performance before rate hikes. So for those of you who are looking into that thing. So, but I think, you know, as, as Lori Cal- Calvacina said, you know, the equity market outlook is like between a rock and a hard place, and the good stuff is in between. <laughs> so financials have had a rough, a tough summer, and suddenly they rise up to the occasion. And, and uh, you know, they're talking about buybacks now and all that good stuff. Energy is a sector to own when sentiment on the economy is strong and improving. And uh, with what we're seeing in, in Washington, I mean, there's going to be, I think, a little bit of inflation with all these things they're talking about in the budget. So now – uh, Tom Porcelli, who's our chief economist, says the fate of monetary policy at this moment in time, the Fed feels they have already met their inflation goal. Short of staggering collapse in inflation from here, uh, how much does inflation really matter? And actually, let's come back to the question in a moment. Uh, let's start with the CPI report. Uh, today's miss on core inflation, or, or uh, I'm sorry, Thursday's miss on core inflation was mostly a result of transportation services, you know, airlines, auto insurance, and that type of thing. This sector has been a pretty solid uh, contributor to core inflation of late, adding uh, almost a tenth of a percent uh, each of the last two months. But you got to remember auto insurance. So, you know, we were talking to Mark Dwelly, uh, who's our insurance guy, and he, he points out that most standard insurance were actually soft year over year because no one's driving anywhere. <laughs> it's that simple. So, so are we past peak in 
inflation? I guess the answer, well, I mean, in Tom's humble opinion, he says, yes, we are likely to pass the peak. So that'll be interesting. Now, I listened to Tom Lee this week, and Tom Lee is a bright guy. He He's the strategist at, at, at Fundstrat, and fortunately, we get Fundstrat's research that that's where Rob Schleimer came from. Actually, Rob Schleimer came from RBC to Fundstrat, stayed there for four years and came back. There's some bright people working for him. And Tom Lee may be the brightest of the bright. And what he talked about last week, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Now, he's talking about day four of a, of a chart pattern uh, that one of their technician talked about. But he talked about an everything rally into year end if something happened. And I don't know if it happened yet. I'll know Monday. But I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, an, an everything rally. Hmm, that'd be interesting. Now, look, there there are challenges are coming at the stock market from different directions, but the, still the rally continues. This p- behavior isn't that counterintuitive once we consider the factors that sets the tone for equity performance. It's always earnings, corporate profits. If you've ever been to a Bob Dickey uh, a seminar, we used to have them pretty regularly here. People that, you know, say, what about this effect? What about this effect? And he says, it's earnings, it's earnings, it's earnings. Well, earnings uh, growth estimates have risen in the second quarter, which I thought thought was interesting. Uh, so is the market being complacent? Is the wall, you know, we still have the wall of worry out there. There's so many things to worry about. The, the, you know, the Democrats overdoing the budget. Uh, China, you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's got more worries than I've ever heard of. Yet we continue to go up. Yet we continue to go up. Now, technically, we're going to talk about that in the next part of the show, but, you know, investors seem, there's some technical stuff that's going on, but look, investors seem more focused on what truly makes the market tick over the long run. That's corporate profit growth. And usually strong second quarter earnings seasons and constructive outlook for management teams have helped the S&P inch higher. That's simple. So, you know, are, are we at peak growth? Isn't that the be-all and end-all? No, it isn't. It's, you know, it just means that growth may slow down a little bit, but it's still there, all right? And I think we may, we remain constructive on the U.S. equities because the headwinds seem manageable. And I, I think in the light of re- recession indicators, the market's great motivator, profit growth, is sending the right signals right now to, to everybody. So, U.S. equities have climbed their way higher this week, and it, and the case of the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ to all-time highs. Now, what we want to see is more of that. Now, I had some questions on, on yield. And, look, over the last several years, one of the most persistent and frustrating issues for investors has been the search for income. While equity markets have climbed higher and higher since the financial crisis, declining bond yields have presented a unique challenge, and, and CD yields, too, for you people out there who are trying to live off those. So there's different yield calculations out there, and, and so you understand what we use here and what I think you should use. First of all, there's twil- the trailing 12-month yield, and, and some mutual funds use that, some ETFs use that, and I don't think that's the right idea because you don't know if, if yields have come down during that period of time, what are they going to be going forward? Then they call what they call the distribution yield, and that is often used in fund literature in conjunction with the SEC yield. But it's similar to the trailing 12-month yield, but instead of summing the previous 12-month distributions, the most recent monthly distribution is annualized and divided by the net asset value of the fund. 
who knows what that's going to be. The SEC yield was created as a way to provide an apples-to-apples comparison between funds, and it's a standardized measure required by the SEC. And it's based on the estimated yield of the maturity of the funds over a 30-day period. All right, so which one to use? I think it's the SEC yield, and I just uh, I bring that up simply because a lot of people are out there wondering what the heck's going on. Now, look, the 10-year yield is completing intermediate term bottom. I'm going to get a little technical now, right? Uh, I'm seeing the relative strength momentum on a weekly basis starting to turn up. Remember, we broke the downtrend line from that move from 182. Remember, I said if we broke over 185, we'd go to 2.1. Well, we never broke over 185. We went straight down, and we made a double bottom at 1.12, and then we turned up. And we finished the week uh, at 1.295, which uh, is a, you know breaks the downtrend line on the yield. Okay, this is yield now. There was a lot of money won and lost in the bond market last week. So if you were long bonds, you probably got whacked. If you were long the yield, you probably made millions of dollars. So there you go. So the 10-year yield, if you take a closer look, made a double bottom, and now is broken out. Regional banks, which base their earnings on the spread, okay? So when yields go up, they make more money. They had the same chart. We talked about this last week. They broke their downtrend line. Now, the big question I have is, is about the, the consumer finance index, the credit card index, should be breaking out. Looks kind of interesting. The material sector did break above the old low, and now we have like a little small little cup and handle formation. Very small, by the way. And the transport index is showing some early signs of bottoming also. What we need to do is have some of the small caps and mid caps participate. All right, and we're going to talk about that not next part of the show, but the show, part of the show after that. So what we have uh, is a, a situation, I think, that is, is kind of interesting. Now, look, the $1 trillion U.S. infrastructure bill that got, just got the blessing of the Senate is an undeni- undeniably large with some of the biggest investments in certain key areas. Now they're also going to try to pass another $3.5 trillion thing. So I just thought I'd highlight uh, – you know, and we, we have a great piece on, on my webpage on this and under Indicites, but the total for transportation is 312. Roads and bridges is 109 billion. Safety is 11. Public transport is 49. Passenger and freight train 66. Uh, other infrastructure like water infrastructure is uh, 266. Water infrastructure is 55. Broadband is 65. Environmental uh, is 21. Power and infrastructure is 73. So, of the billion dollars, only 579 is going towards what I consider infrastructure. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Anyway, let's take a break. Remember, if you have a question, the number here is 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Derek and the Dominoes. All right. So, uh, you know, in 2021, the number of women running businesses on the Fortune 500 hit an all-time high, 41. Good for you, ladies. Every single corporate board 
in the S&P 500 now has at least one woman on it as of May, according to Bloomberg. Once again, good for you, ladies. Uh, prompted by the global pandemic, a strong stock market, donations to charity hit an all-time high last year, according to the latest uh, Giving USA report. U.S. charities took in an estimated $471 billion in donations last year. Good for all of us. You know, congratulations, everybody. Now, uh, I had a uh, an in- man, some really interesting uh, com- conversations this week. Uh, I talked, uh, first of all, I got into a conversation with Barry about ETFs. And he says, Tim, you never recommend ETFs on the show. I said, I do. I talk about ETFs a little bit, but you've got to understand something about ETFs. All right. Look, let's take biotechnology. All right. I look at the IBB, which I have a lot of. Okay. And it's up about 15% this year. I look at the XBI, which has six of the same stocks as the IBB in it. And it's down 13%. Why? Well, it's the weighting. One uses market cap, and the other uses, you know, uh, it's equal weight. Uh, some of the other stocks within the ETF are smaller names and a smaller. I mean, there's no bid for small uh, uh, biotech right now. There's no bid at all. All right. And I'm not saying that they're selling heavy selling. I'm just saying there's no bid, meaning there's no buyers. So market makers will not take an inventory. You know, they'll just, yeah, no mas. Okay, they'll put their hands up. All right, so here we have two ETFs in the same category. And you've got a 30% difference in performance. So that's why, Barry. Okay, now uh, somebody, uh, look, here's a couple of things I'm seeing, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about what Rob Schleimer's seeing, okay, because Rob is smarter than I am. Uh, or at least, you know, his job is to be to do all these charts. I do all these charts anyway, uh, so I, I have some, you know, viewpoints. And uh, it, may, it might be a little bit different than Rob's, but, uh, you know, this is just me speaking out loud, okay? So, um, look, I noticed the Dow transportation average broke above its 50-day moving a- average on some decent volume last week. The relative strength, or RSI, just turned positive. Uh, so that's good. Um, <clears throat> I looked at some of the, the transports and, you know, I, uh, some of them are, you know, I, I looked at both the rails and the, and, and some of the, uh, the transports that I look at are, are not the actual, the airlines, but the FedExes and UPSs and, and, uh, XPO logistics, that type of thing. And I noticed, uh, a lot of the MACD lists are, are starting to, to, uh, that's the moving average convergence divergence. If you don't know what it is, look it up. But they've turned positive. So we're starting to see the beginning. You know, look, what you want to see is utilities, the transports, and the industrials all hit new highs at the same time. That is defined by Charles Dow as a bull market. All right. So what we've had is utilities kind of lag a little bit, and the transports were taking a pause. So It'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if we go. Uh, now, a couple other things that I'm seeing, you know, that aren't as positive. All right. So, you know, we, we try to play both sides of the coin. If I look at the percent of stocks above their 200-day moving average, it's, fall, it's fallen below 45%. And, and that's not a good 
thing. Uh, now we're seeing a couple of the moving averages turn up, like the PPO, which is a, a momentum indicator. It's turned up against this uh, moving average. Uh, but, you know, you, you don't know until you know. Now, I, I have seen some things that I do like, uh, you know, like I look at the, the advanced decline line and, and it looks okay. And I look at the New York Stock Exchange Index and it looks okay. Um, and, you know, last week I talked about, uh, you know, what happens when, uh, you know, you have the advanced decline line doing well or, or holding up anyway, but the advanced decline line in volume is making a series of lower highs. So you need more participation for me to get really bullish. But Tom Lee is talking about, you know, I mean, Tom Lee's a very smart guy and he, he is, uh, uh, you know, talking about an everything rally. Uh, this is a guy, look, last spring he talked about the digitalization of the marketplace along with Mark Mahaney. And by the way, if you go back to March of 2020 on my webpage, you can see we had articles with Mark Mahaney in it. I think it was in April, April of 2020. All he talked about was the digitalization, how we advanced it. Man, if you would have bought into that, you know, let me tell you something. We talked about in 2018, that we had an internet, media, technology, and software uh, uh, conference. If you would have bought, if you would have called in for that report, you would have made a fortune. <laughs> I'll say you would have made a fortune in, in a two-year period, uh, two-and-a-half-year period, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, Tom Lee's talking about this everything portfolio, I mean, the everything rally. So, look. As Rob Schleimer always talks about the four-year cycles and the seven, uh, the 16, 18-year cycles. So the 16, 18-year cycles are a secular bull and a secular bear market. Right now, depending on when you think we started the secular bull, we're in a secular bull. Now, Bob, Bob Dickey, uh, who has retired on me, <laughs> who's still a great guy, job fishing probably at this point, said that we started in 2014. Rob Schleimer said we started in 2016. So who knows? You know, we, we've still got time is what I'm trying to say. So this, the four-year cycle, though, the cycle backdrop remains positive, and that's, that's important. So uh, the long-term perspectives for the market. So think long-term. You know, don't get panicked at short-term corrections, but, you know, this, it, it's important that you, you understand that. Now, the tactical observations – I think you're seeing more and more sector and style rotation favoring uh, cyclicals in the year end. I'm seeing a lot of these cyclicals start to bottom, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the secular growth, you know, you're probably seeing a pause or pullback likely developing as rates bottom and, you know, start to turn up. All right. Remember, when rates go up, I want to be more in value than in, in growth. Now, I am seeing some stocks that are considered in the prime income list that look like they're bottoming and everybody hates these stocks. I love buying dividend. Remember you buy yield when it's down. I'm not going to tell you what those are. I, I looked at them today and I'm probably going to talk to some of my clients about them Monday. All right. So look, I, I look at three, three measures and they remain positive in the S and P 500. And that is the price the stocks versus bonds and the breath. Uh, although the volume on the breast is something interesting. And then the weekly quadrant balance, which Rob Schleimer follows pretty closely, on, is starting to turn up. That's a momentum figure. So, hey, we're going to be right back. Uh, stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. 
If you have a question, once again, it's 216-901-0945. 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. Just a bit of trivia that uh, Jeff Beck helped uh, me wonder to write that song. So, uh, one of my favorite guitars. Anyway, so, um, you know, once again, I'm going to send you to WHK's webpage. If you go there and you go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, you can get right to my webpage. And like I said, if you go to Insights, you know, they have the whole roster of Insights going back about two years. So go back to April of 2020 and read the Mark Mahaney strategies piece. I think you'll find it interesting. He, uh, unfortunately, Mark's not with us anymore. He's with Evercore, but he uh, he had some really good information back then. And so did Lori Cal- Calvacina, by the way. She had, she hit the cover off the ball. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee, talk about your retirement plan, your portfolio, you know, my number's there, or you can, you know, uh, it's an email me, contact me, that type of thing. Uh, don't forget our ADR list, our top ideas, both small cap, large cap, uh, and, and then we have a multi-cap portfolio. Dividend growth and prime income. Uh, there's two really interesting stocks uh, on on uh, on that list right now. So uh, I noticed uh, they had uh, really interesting charts and, and nice dividends, big dividends, as a matter of fact. Okay. So now we, we always talk about our uh, uh, the bullish percent, okay? And the bullish percent just monitors risk for us, okay? When it's in a column of O's, distribution is happening. And trust me, I've been doing this for a pretty long time. Distribution happens a lot faster than accumulation. just the way it is. People fear drives stocks down fairly quickly. That's when volatility picks up. So the, the gentleman who started this was a protege of Charles Dow, and he, he all he wanted to do was be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. So he set this up. It goes from zero to 100. When you're column of X's, you have the offensive team on the field. When you're column of O's, you want to be more defensive. It doesn't mean you have to sell everything, especially right now because domestic equities are the number one asset class. Remember, in 2007, they were the lowest form of life, Okay. <laughs> They were, you know, uh, mud salamanders at that point, okay? So we'll mo- monitor this for you. Uh, and, you know, if you listen weekly or if you're one of my clients, uh, we we watch this very closely for you. Anyway, the point is, is that right uh, – and by the way, when you're above 70, that's when it's too hot to handle, all right? Uh, that's when things are getting carried away. Uh, that's when you should be bearish. That's when you should be careful. When you get below 30, I mean, look – Back on March 23rd, on that Saturday, I said the bullish percent was at five, and I've never seen it that low. That's including 1987. That's including 19, uh, 2003. That includes a lot. Uh, 2008, nine. Okay, so I've never seen it that low. I've been doing this a while. <laughs> That's when you want to be bullish. When everybody else is scared to death. And by the way, I had 18 clients. It didn't want to, they, they wouldn't even, you know, they said, Tim, I love you. Call me back in a week. <laughs> I get it, you know, but the best time to buy a stock is when your stomach's turning. Trust me on that. 
you know, and, and I'm not trying to frighten uh, retirees. That's not my job, okay? But I am trying to buy the best stocks I possibly can at the best prices I can. And by the way, our friends at Marshfield did it. Uh, you know, I was I was talking to some folks that work for the Contra Fund. They were doing the same thing. You know, uh, I have three or four money managers I'm doing business with. They were all buying that time. So uh, the smart money buys when the, the bullish percent gets below 30 and starts to turn up. So right now, it's at 59. It was up 1% for the week. Uh, it's in a column of X's. Now, the world index and the over-the-counter index are not. They're in a column of O's. So we're not getting, you know, we've got the, the knights and the, and the kings fighting the, the war. But we don't have the foot soldiers, the archers, the guys bringing up uh, the rear with the supply trains, you know, et cetera. But they're close. Let me say that again. They're close. Okay, so at 48, the -the over-the-counter index or the small cap index would turn up. We're at 47 right now. We're 1% away. That's as of Thursday. All right. The -the over-the-counter index has a little bit more room to go. It it would not turn up till 54, but we were at 47 at the close on Thursday. So uh, it was a positive week. I'll say that, you know, for the for the uh, overall. Now, I did notice one thing, uh, the relative strength chart of silver versus the uh, aggregate bond ETF, the AGG. So SLV versus AGG. Silver went into a column of O's. So that's a sell signal. That's the, It's a double bottom sell signal. So uh, it does look like bond yield or bonds may outperform silver for a while. So we'll see what happens. But that, you know, I think most notably energy continues to drop in its ranking, which uh, I thought that would happen because, you know, we had most of this, the the oil stocks in zones five or six. Remember, uh, Jim Yates, who I met numerous times, uh, had dinner with him in Nick's Fish Market one time in, in Chicago. And, you know, he had the the, the zone product, and, and he, he did it with options. And so when zone five or six, you write calls or you buy puts. In zone one or two, you buy calls or you write puts, okay? And so you got to move yourself in between those two things. So almost a hundred percent of the oil stocks, I think it was like ninety-two percent, was in zone five and six. So you knew oil had to uh, correct a little bit, and, and we talked about that. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, now, I, I was looking at stocks that are outperforming in the Dow Jones, and it's Goldman Sachs, American Express, Microsoft, J.P. Morgan, Home Depot, Cisco, Nike, Walgreens, Chevron, Caterpillar, and United Healthcare. The rest of them are lagging a little bit. So we'll see what happens going forward, but you want more participation than just 10 of the 30 stocks, okay? Uh, I will say this. The Dow did come up with a fund score over three. That's very positive on the Dorsey Wright system. By the way, Dorsey Wright does provide us with a bullish percent. They're the keepers of the bullish percent. They're great folks out of uh, Virginia. Now, we always talk about favored sectors. Remember, all the sectors were to the right. Back in February, and I said I thought we'd have a correction in March. I said that in January, okay? And sure enough, we had a rotational correction, but we had the stock market going high. But at that time, we had 27 sectors were positive. Now we have three. Banking at 64, I'd wait on that. Textiles and savings at 60, I'd wait on those. We do have drugs and biotech below 30. We still haven't moved far enough to the left for Tim to be happy. Remember, back in the spring, you know, in April and March of last year, we everything 
was below 30. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was kind of an interesting time. Uh, I think I have a hole in my stomach because of it. But anyway, uh, look, we, we had oil service go to totally unfavored this, this week and healthcare just go to average. Okay. But leisure and steel uh, went from unfavored to average. So that's the only big changes I saw this week. And uh, I did notice that the Chinese, uh, some of the Chinese ETFs that don't have technology, they don't have BABA, they don't have Tencent and all that stuff, have broken out. Isn't that interesting? So everybody's dumping Chinese stocks, but, the, you know, the stuff without Alibaba is going up. So, uh, but by the way, so EEM is probably a tough one to own, but there are, I have four different ETFs that are, have broken a double top uh, to a new high, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, ETFs, you've got to be careful with what you're buying because they're not all made the same, okay? Uh, you know, I was looking at the, the environmental stuff that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple ETFs that are just China environmental index. They look great. <laughs> and they pull back nice and, you know, go higher. The other thing I'll mention is I was looking at the, the five-year yield, and the five-year yield broke its downtrend, or it's right at its downtrend line, at 0.825. So it'll be interesting that 0.850 would be a big, you know, a big positive. So uh, for yields now, not the the, uh, the actual bonds, the bonds will get beat up a little bit. Convertible bonds, once again, leave the, the fixed income field, and we've been talking about that for about three years now. So we want to uh, – we do have – uh, a spread and, and what we call the CBUS 10-year spread, which is the spread between treasuries and high-yield corporates. Uh, and it's matching its highest level since March. So, um, you know, the treasuries uh, look like they're in the better deal right at the moment, is what I'm trying to tell you. Now, we, uh, as far as commodities are concerned, crude's been negative for about five weeks. I think it'll be a couple more weeks before it, it gets better. Gold just went negative, uh, and copper's been positive for four Four weeks. So, uh, like I said, I think uh, the oil sector will probably bottom at the same time as the oil stock sector. Okay, and we'll leave it at that. Now, I looked at uh, the gold-silver mint ratio, and the amount of silver needed to purchase one ounce of gold started to turn up. Uh, it's at the lowest level I've seen in a long, long time. I'll just leave that at that. All right. So, uh, now. One other thing we look at is relative strength, and, and what we do is relative strength uh, is just how your your stocks are doing, performing to something else. So when they get relative strength buy signals, like Danaher gave one in 2001, and it's still on one, all right? Uh, there's a certain software company that I'm not allowed to mention gave one back then and is still on one, all right? And it's still going strong, and it's not any of the big names that you guys know. I own it. So... Uh, so on, on the relative strength buy signals, you've got to be careful with these stocks. You've got to watch them very closely because they could be in for a long, long time. This is Analam by uh, Pharmaceuticals. Uh, I own that stock at a very – it's up to 200 now, and I, I owned it in the low 10, 9, 10 range. Codexis, which is a chemical company. Eli Lilly, uh, the 9 Limited out of China. So there's another – it's an ADR. It's technological services, so it's a little bit different from technology. Nucor, which is a steel company. Novavax, which has got the uh, got one of the uh, uh, vaccination things. And silicon motion technology. Enphase 
Energy, which is a solar plate. People are forgetting about the solar plate suddenly, so that's interesting. Marathon Digital Holdings, which is the largest uh, crypto miner. Edidus uh, Medicine and Biotechnology. Flugent Genetics, which is a great call on our part. Orinia Pharmaceuticals, which is a large position of mine, but at a much lower level. Caravana Company. Uh, Carvana is, is the new way to buy cars. And Albertsons uh, made a big move this week, so you want to kind of wait on that. On the sell side, it's where you would be a little more careful. Arena Pharmaceuticals, Veracell in the biotech area, BJ's Restaurants, Callan Petroleum, Ferrotech, FMC, and uh, ACI Worldwide at Groupon, IMAX, ITRON, and Lionsgate Entertainment. All right, we're going to be right back. If you've got a question, 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Uh, I think we have Jerry on the line. Jerry, you there? That, that is me. Good afternoon. How are you? How are I'm you? I'm doing well. Okay, very fine. I have two questions for you. One, about a year and a half ago, I invested in a uh, chip ETF, and I've since then doubled my money on it. Uh, should I be uh, du- doubling down, or should I be uh, selling out, or just hold? You know, here again, uh, it depends on the chip ETF that you you bought, Jerry. Uh, look, the uh, the SMH broke out and then broke back in, and I'm a little worried mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and what it was was generally Micron, Western Digital, and Storage Tech that they beat up. Okay, these guys are all just standard memory people. In the okay. meantime, NVIDIA looks good, and advanced micro devices just hit a new high, and Intel looks like uh, it's not going anywhere for a while. All right, so it's a very mixed breed, so it depends on the ETF you have. All right? Okay. So I, I, can't answer well, the, as, I can't answer the question. <laughs> understood. Uh, as a sector, uh, is ET, are the... Um, Chip, uh, chip ETFs uh, solid now, or you think they're overbought? Jerry, again, once again, depends is, on, it depends on the. See, the problem is the ETFs have different, you know, uh, structures. You know, like uh, some of them are equal weighted, some are market weighted. Uh, you know, look if you if yeah. your best position, your biggest position is Nvidia and advanced micro devices, you're doing great. If it's Intel okay. and it's Micron, you just you're getting beat up. Okay, so it depends on what they're in. Uh, so okay. I mean, I can, I have different different ETFs. I I would have bought uh, Intel as a uh, dividend play. Uh, Nvidia mm-hmm. and Advanced Micro Devices are two pretty big positions for me. Okay. Gotcha. So, okay. Uh, I, okay. The ETFs are a little harder. You got to really do your homework. Und- understood. Understood. Okay. Second question. Now, I'm not certain if it was you or perhaps it was some other uh, host. They were saying that uh, the um, there shouldn't be a, the interest rate should not be significantly rising in the next uh, couple of years, and I don't see how they cannot avoid raising with the amount of money that's being pr- 
money and what's being put into the economy? Well, you know, first of all, in order for interest rates to rise, there has to be demand for the money. And uh, Mm -hmm. we haven't seen that as of yet. But we also know that they're paying the banks 50 basis points to hold reserves. So you're making a half a percent in a one and a quarter percent market for nothing. No Mm -hmm. risk. Are you going to lend money? Yeah, yeah, yeah really, that better be a really good idea. Now, uh, I think the other thing is, is if you start, you know, marching the interest rates up a little bit, I think it'll be amazing how the banks find demand for money suddenly because they'll be willing to loan a little bit more. But yeah. you know, why take a risk? Why take a risk on a loan, Jerry, if you don't have to? If you're getting fifty basis points. Or yeah, I, I see what you're. Yeah, right. Uh, now, the fact, it'll, right. I, okay. If if interest rates go up, it, it's going to catch twenty two. If interest rates go up, you're going to find demand is suddenly going to, you know, the banks are going to find demand. Okay. So it's an interesting play. I, you know, I, I think the uh, the Fed's kind of a, between a rock and a hard space, but I don't see them raising rates because Powell wants to get reelected. So I don't see that happen until he is reelected. Which uh-huh. will be, you know, the beginning of 20, 2022. So, uh, it's kind of a tough, tough question. Now we, th- we think uh-huh. interest rates going to be, you know, we've been talking about that for five years now. You know, interest rates going to be lower for longer. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I don't see, I don't see that changing yet. Uh, you know, and I'm looking at the charts. You know, once, once you break a certain, I think it's like 2.2%, then we'll talk about interest rates going up. <laughs> All right. Okay, so two point two percent. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the long term downtrend line dating way back to when you know to like nineteen eighty. All right, so it goes all the way back to nineteen eighty. So we're still in that forty two year bull market bond is what it comes down to. All right. Okay, fascinating. All right, thank you for your uh, time. Yeah, take care. Bye. All right, all right. Have a great day. See you. Anyway, now we talk about insiders, and insiders uh, have been active this week, which I think is kind of interesting. First of all. Uh, you know, why do we look at insiders? Because they know more about the company than we do. <laughs> uh, number one. Number two, you know, when you sell a stock, you know, you're buying your Porsche, you're buying your house, uh, you're buying whatever. But when you buy a stock and you buy it in the open market, you do it for one reason, to make money. <laughs> so we're looking for big purchases, not little purchases, big purchases. Uh, cry cut, which was a new issue a while back. Uh, Abdeel Capital, which is a, that's smart money, folks, a 10% owner, but 130,198 shares or $4.3 million worth of stock. And they did it last Friday. So, uh, that's kind of interesting. And then, uh, Energy Transfer, uh, which is a name that, uh, is, you know, I mean, take it on the cuff. It's $11 stock. It's now a nine and a half. Um, we had Kelsey Warren, who's executive chairman. He bought three times, uh, about $9 million worth each time. Not chump change, folks. And then we had the Baker Brothers. They're back. They bought Kodiak Sciences, uh, which I made a lot of money on uh, <laughs> a while back. They bought uh, $4.6 million uh, worth. And then two days uh, before that, they or two days after that, they bought $3.4 million worth. They have a total of 13,097,000 shares. 
which is not chump change, folks. Uh, and, and that's very smart money in the biotech field. Now, here's an interesting one, a little $3 stock, uh, Martin Midstreet. And Reuben Martin, who's a director, bought uh, a million shares uh, at, it, you know, at about 289 a share uh, for a $3.1 million uh, scenario. And then Harpoon Te- uh, Therapeutics, which just, which got Harpoon, <laughs> was $22, is now eight ninety seven, I think. Uh, and Ron Hunt, the director, bought uh, 235,000 shares for $4 million, which is kind of interesting. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really like the report I read on it, but, you know, he, he knows more than I do, so I'll just leave it at that. And then Big Larry Holding, uh, we had Sadar Big Larry. He bought uh, several times, by the way. Um, he he bought uh, 2.9 million, and then uh, later on he bought uh, 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 500,000. So he bought a couple times. And, and by the way, I forgot to mention that uh, Kodiak, the Baker Brothers, also bought a million dollars in, be- in the, between the two days that they uh, they bought. So they they did buy three times last week. Uh, Sage, which is a, a, a biotech that just got creamed, it was 80, it's now 40. Uh, we had the president and CEO, Barry Green, buy a, a million dollars worth, and he owns a ton of it, by the way. Uh, he owns the, about $3 million worth now. And then a couple other names that, you know, I, I think this is interesting because they're buying down, and then we have people who are buying up. Aon PLC, which is an insurance broker from Ireland, we had the uh, a director, uh, uh, Lester Knight by 10,000 shares to 2.6 million. And then um, uh, Tivity Health, we have uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, who's a who's a, a director by 2.4 million. And then Kennedy Wilson, which is at a new high, by the way. Uh, and Aon was too, I forgot to mention that. Uh, the chief executive officer bought the $2.1 million worth. And then Dun & Bradstreet, which just got killed. Uh, it was 21 a month ago and now is 19. 19, uh, 19, somewhere around there. Um, that's not getting killed. It's getting beat up a little bit. The chief executive officer, uh, Anthony Jabor, bought uh, $2 million worth. And then Dennis O'Leary, uh, who you know that name, was a director over at Fiveserve, uh, bought uh, $1.4 million worth. And then the CEO at iHeart, uh, Rob Pittman, iHeart Media now, uh, he bought a $1 million worth. And then uh, Brian Riley, who's the, the chairman uh and I think he's co-CEO of Riley, which is a brokerage firm. He bought a million dollars worth. And then uh, Peter Nolan, who's uh, a director at Activision, bought a million dollars worth. And then Conoco, we had uh, the CEO of Conoco. I oh, know uh, these directors, uh, Walker's is his last name. He bought a million dollars worth. And then I noticed that a couple other buys is we had uh, our good friend, Anthony San Filippo, two days before he bought the million dollar or two million dollars worth of activity, he bought another seven hundred and fifty. And Peter Nolan uh, bought another uh, uh, six hundred and seventy thousand dollars worth of Activision. So uh, we had several buyers of Activision and and uh, it was always Peter Nolan and and also Tivity and uh, so they, they bought throughout. Uh, anyway. There we go. So we, we had quite a few insider buyers, and uh, where do we go now? Well, let's talk a little bit more while we have – I think we only have a minute left or two minutes left. So the S&P is hitting new highs. What we want to see is the small caps break out. So in the meantime, what I would be doing is I'd be going to WHK1420, go to a local podcast down at Tim Hayes' Smart Investor Show. 
And we have stuff like Money Matters for Young Professionals. We have a woman's, uh, Women in Wealth, a planning guide. We have all sorts of stuff like uh, the electrical grid and, and also our, our uh, energy uh, conference. We have our notes from that. Good stuff. Uh, for you business owners who are selling a business, the transition guide is a great thing to have. And, and uh, then the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. While interest rates are still low, Jerry, I'm not sure they're going to turn up yet, but I think it's important that you you, know, you read about how to use credit the proper way. Uh, and then we have our ADR list, our prime income list, our dividend growth list. Look, dividends have been out of favor during the Trump administration. During the Obama administration, dividends are what led led the market, okay? So you think Mr. Biden and Mr. Obama have a few things in common? <laughs> you might want to look at dividends and, and uh, the prime income list, the dividend growth and prime income list. In the meantime, it's Saturday. Have a great weekend. It's, it's hot out there, so keep cool. Uh, and this is Smart Investor Show. If you'd like to have coffee with me, remember, WHK1420, local podcast down to Smart Investor Show. Have a great weekend. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.